folks, welcome to another episode of Soul Talk. Today, I'm so excited to have with us Roger Lee, who is the founder of Roger Lee Dance Company. And he's also an independent artist coach out of Philly. Get this, you guys. He's also uh, teaches entrepreneurship at Drexel University, and he's teaching uh, what was it? Afro jazz and contemporary at Joffrey and Broadway Dance Center this summer. So he is just like the person you you want to talk to. You want to meet. Hey, Roger, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us on your summer break. <laughs> I'm to be here. This is that's part of the vacation. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Thanks, love. So let's jump right into it. Okay. Sure. Tell us how you got started with dance. What? How? How? And when did you start? Yeah, so I was actually forced. <laughs> I was 13 years old, and my mom said, you are going to audition for Fox 29. Nice. That's a local morning news station. And at the time, I had no dance experience at all. I just danced to block parties and family events. So I had a little bit of rhythm, but nothing special. Um, so I went to this audition. There are over 500 dancers there, and they're amazing, from ballet, jazz, tap, right. modern, hip-hop. So I'm watching these kids stretch and legs are up and extensions. And my mom's like, do what they're doing. At least pretend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. I was like number 91. I was like decked out. And I just thought it was like the coolest thing in 2001. I had like this whole gold outfit. I just thought it was too cool. For <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I actually caught the attention of the judges. So they broke it down from 500 to 100 and then down to 50 and 40. So in the end, I actually was one of the final eight they picked. Nice to uh, help beef up ratings and add like a little cute factor to the morning news. So I would say it was kind of destined for me to do it and it just all started from there. And you you weren't really that nervous to do that? Oh, I was nervous. Oh, you were? That <laughs> I was definitely cool. nervous. So your mom just saw something in you from, you know, family family events and you just mm -hmm. being you. I, I, I really love that. I think, I think that's really interesting. So... So then what happened after that? How did you, how did it continue on? Yeah, so that was one of the hardest things for me. So once I got in, I thought that was the biggest challenge, but actually the boot camp training was so intense. Mm -hmm. So we had baby breaking, we had, you know, locking and traditional hip hop and house. And then, you know, a month later you're on national television live performing and it was like a crash course on TV and dance really <laughs> one time. So. You know, that was a lot for me. But uh, from there, I went to Philadelphia High School for the Creative and Performing Arts. Nice. We call it like our Philly fame school. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, I did dance there for a while. And then I actually went to uh, Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Arts, which is now extinct. And it's so sad to say that, but the uh, 2007 funding let it shut down. So I was lucky to be one of the last graduating classes there. But that changed my life. It was nine hours of ballet, modern, and jazz you know, in the RPA in the middle of nowhere and you're just secluded for nine hours a day dancing with some of the best students in the world. And I was at the bottom. When I say the bottom of the totem pole, like I had no frame of reference for like classical technique. Right. So just to be there and training, it was really hard for me and to be nine hours away from home. I was ready to call it quits and just like come back and have like a normal Philly summer. But uh, I said, just stay in there. We drove you there. So we're not picking you up until the end of the program. <laughs> so yet again, I thank God for their perseverance at the time. And uh, they really saw something in me that I didn't see. So uh, that really motivated me to continue dancing in college. And I feel like if it wasn't for governor school, I probably would just go to like a local school and not live away from home. Uh -huh. Surviving that nine hour distance for the five weeks. I said, all right, I could live on campus somewhere and really focus on my technique a bit. 
I think that's great. We have really similar stories. And before we were talking, you guys, we realized that we have so much in common as well. But when um, I never asked to take a dance class when I was younger, my parents just put me in dance. Actually, my story though is because I was really clumsy, and so they <laughs> they put me in class. They put me in class for grace. But not only that, um, what else? Oh, the sacrifices, like. Uh, when I was younger and I was getting invited to slumber parties and, you know, I wanted to do it, but I was a part of um, a jazz company when I was like 10 years old, 10, 11 years old, part of a jazz company. Rehearsals were like 7 to 11 on a Friday night, every Friday night. And um, I was like one of the youngest kids in the company. Um, Stephen Boyd, rest in peace. I was in a jazz company and... Um, I would want to go to the slumber party. My mom was like, no, <laughs> like you're going to rehearsal. We paid the money. It's the fact it was like 45 minutes away from our house. We had to drive all the way and we were there like all the time. So very in interesting that we have that mm. similarities. Okay. So you were in school now. So now you have this training. Yeah. So did you know at some point that you wanted it to be your career? Like how did that come about? Mm. So, you know, around the time I, went to college, I knew that I wanted to refine my technique. I knew I wanted to do something with dance, but I wasn't sure how serious I wanted to go with it. Mm -hmm. um, but it was my sophomore year that I actually had an injury and I had to really think about this. So I prayed long and hard and I said, God, like if I make it through this, I'm gonna put my all into it. Right. Like I'm not gonna straddle the fence on this like hobby level anymore. Mm -hmm. Deep down, I didn't think I was gonna overcome it. And I thought that that probably would be the end of my dance career, but you know, lo and behold, I'm still doing it now. So I had to honor what I said I would do. So I decided that once I healed junior year, I was going to do it. So yeah. I actually took over our student-run dance company at the time. Okay. And I was the president there. And I learned like, how to produce shows, how to market dance, how to cast, how to, you know, work with other people outside of the dance world. And mm -hmm. kind of like set the stage for what I'm doing now, which is running my own professional company. And thank God, you know, we're five years strong. Yeah. I think that's I think that's great. I love 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 so many things about your story. Um, I mean, it obviously sounds like you had some inherent leadership or have not had inherent mm -hmm. leadership skills and abilities that really have helped you to kind of thrive and and do some great things. But just your it just seems like even at a young age you had you know some wisdom about you or just to know you know to pick up on those things and then those learning those skills y'all we talk about it all the time but it's so important that marketing like working with other people all of those things that you learned when you were over that that group i mean it's so important to your career like it's so important okay so then what happened after school what was like the first thing you did to pursue your career yeah so i graduated from undergrad in 2010 Mm -hmm. And I did something totally different. So like all my dance friends, they said, I'm going to New York and LA and I'm going to sign to a top agency yeah. or get on one of those reality competitions. And I just went to the beat of my own drum as usual. So I said, you know, moving back home to Philly, I'm actually going to go to grad school to okay. kind of learn more about the business. Right. I realized like if I want this to be a sustainable career, that business that all needs to go off in my head and I feel like just being a dance major, as beautiful as it was, it only developed me as an artist, but not as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to go back to school and uh, get some more skills under my belt. And then to support myself during school, I used my dance degree and got a lot of teaching gigs. So I was teaching like 10, 15 hours a week in addition to wow. you know, school and all of that. So that went on for like two years. And then my last month in grad school when I was doing my thesis, I was launching my company. So we had like our first debut concert around the same time. So. A very busy April. <laughs> right. 
That's awesome. I think that's really smart. I love that too. You went to grad school and knew, you know, I, I, I didn't go that route, but for me, I didn't know that I was, I wanted to do this for a living. Actually, I didn't know that I could, you know, I only saw growing up, um, well, not saw, cause you know, I wanted to be a fly girl, but that was, <laughs> that was different, but you know, I didn't, um, I wasn't introduced to a commercial dance career. Like I only thought there was ballet companies and yeah. modern companies. And I knew early on that wasn't for me. So mm -hmm. when I was in college, I didn't know that I was going to be a professional dancer. So I was on this completely different route. But even still, when I graduated from college and was like, you know what, I'm going to be a dancer. I'm moving to LA, whatever that means, I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Even when I was there at, after a certain point, I had a nudging within me that was like, you should probably go to grad school and do, you know, mm -hmm. figure something more out. So I think that's, I think that's a wise choice, you know, mm -hmm. no matter what I think um, you decide to what program what type of program so i don't know mm -hmm. that it has to be dance but i think having a mm -hmm. master's degree in dance really helps me in a lot of different areas as far as artistry professionalism just a mm -hmm. lot of different lenses i think that's really smart did your right. family encourage you to do that or is that just something that you you felt like you know yeah it was definitely you know they gave my family you know they and they're such like a blessed part of my life because they always push me and sometimes harder than I push myself. So yeah. I always admire that about them, but uh, come from a family of educators. So yeah. it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> Both my parents, uh, they were actually professors at the time too. So they said, you know, you might want to pursue this thing. And I was like completely burned out. You know, I just went straight from undergrad to grad. So at the time we were having these conversations like that winter of my senior year, mm -hmm. I wasn't really about that at all. That's so, right. <laughs> I don't think I could do this at all, but I'm, Again, you know, I was praying about it, and I said, if I get a job, I'm going to go that route. And if I don't, I'm going back to school. Mm. I think I went on about 30 interviews, and I made it to, like, the top three or two of so many positions. But they always went with somebody who was a little bit older and more experienced. Mm -hmm. So I just took that, again, as divine intervention and said, well, I have this grad school acceptance sitting right in my lap, and I have no job. So I need to. Very smart. Yeah. Very Okay. So I did arts administration too, you know, like I love dance um, and I wanted to go that route at first, but I felt like arts administration was really important for me to complete, you know, my journey. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I needed to know more about the marketing, about the finance. You know, if you decide to do a nonprofit, how do you assemble a board? Um, we did like audience engagement studies, just so many business classes within the art realm. Yes. It was totally different than anything I ever took before, so I loved it. It was exciting for me. Yes, and while while he's spitting out all this knowledge that he's gained from grad school, y'all, stay tuned because Roger's also going to hook us up with a short media training, so how to get in good with press. So be on the lookout for that at theworkingdancer.com forward slash online classes. But yeah, so all of that is incredibly important information, and y'all going to want to stick around, and you're going to want to look him up. So stay tuned for his handles and website for all of, all of that information as well. Okay, so we talked about what you did first. So you went to grad school. And so while you were in grad school, you still had your company because you said you started your company when mm -hmm. you were in undergrad, yes? Um, no, I started at the very end of grad school. Oh, at the end of grad school. Okay, so you were doing, that's right, you said you were doing your thesis and then you started your company, right? Mm -hmm. So then tell us a little bit about that. How did, you know, um, I'm sure a lot of people want to have companies, but what was that mm -hmm. journey like for you? Where did that come from? How was it getting started? Sure. So the whole premise was kind of twofold. So I knew that I wanted to get my choreography out there. 
And I put a few feelers out when I was still an undergrad to see how possible was it to, you know, be a guest choreographer in New York or LA or somewhere. And I found out that, uh, you know, it's very hard to do. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's hard. You know, it's really connection-based and um, it just comes with Asian experience yeah. and years. I felt like that impatient driving me. It just it didn't make it possible for me to wait a decade and then like set my first work on somebody. So I decided that I had to do my own thing just to get a choreography out there. Um, and then the second thing too is I'm really interested in pop culture and African-American history. And there are companies out there that definitely fuse it, but I kind of have my own take on what that looks like. So I decided to get my artistic voice out there and my choreography, the best thing to do is just to bite the bullet and kind of start my own thing. And that also came from a drive for like helping other artists out too. So knowing I could help pay other dancers and give them opportunities and launch their careers too. It was like a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I think that's really smart too. And actually that's just the way things go. I think maybe once upon a time, there was a, there was a way where um, maybe when you're first starting out, it was other people giving you the opportunity, right? But it's it's proven time and time again, more people get more opportunities by first starting their own thing. And then yes. once you've generated your own buzz, basically kind of when you already have your own audience, then somebody else is gonna be mm -hmm. like, oh, let me give you an opportunity. And mm -hmm. so they can leverage your audience now and be like, oh, this is Roger Lee, of, you know, Roger Lee Dance Company. We commissioned mm -hmm. to do a work on, you know, Ailey. And so now that they're mm -hmm. leveraging those audiences. So uh, unfortunately, this is for everybody listening. Um, mm -hmm. It is quite difficult to just go out there and get someone to give you an opportunity these days mm -hmm. without you first having validated yourself beforehand, doing it your own, you know, your own way. So I think it's, that was a smart move on, on your part, you know. Thank you. No, I just want to add to that too, you know, never be afraid to go out and do that. I think a lot of times as artists, we hold ourselves back. You know, we all have insecurities, but I have them all the time, but it's kind of not, it's not important whether you have insecurity or not. What really matters is if you actually stop moving. And too many people stop moving because of their insecurities, and that's where the issues are. The day you stop moving is the day you become stale and stagnant and irrelevant, right? So if you want to build something, you have to add something every day. It could be like the smallest thing, yep. but you can't afford to stop and wait for somebody else because you'll be waiting your whole life. You know? That's absolutely, it's the truth. It's, uh, uh, I was reading, I don't know what, if it, if it was overcoming under earning, I read tons of professional and personal development books, mm. but I think it was under overcoming under earning great book if anyone wants to read it. But it's um, this woman, the author in, interviewed like all of these millionaires and they just happened to be women. Um, but the issue was that they were all extremely successful and had amassed all of this money and, and all of the success doing their, their things. But they didn't do it. It wasn't that they weren't scared doing it. That's the point that she made. She said they were all dealing with insecurities and wondering, you know, there's this, this fraud syndrome or imposter syndrome where we wonder if we're even good enough or what makes me capable of doing this or why, what, you know, what gives me the right. Everybody faces that, but the difference is those people do it anyways. You know, they keep going in spite of it. They take baby steps and, you know, they kind of just face it until until mm. something happens so i think that's an excellent point you just got to do it scared <laughs> everybody's scared right you just can't let that that fear paralyze you right no. so then what's been your um biggest challenge or one of your biggest challenges when it comes to you know having this company and basically mm -hmm. anything related to your company or career 
Yeah. So, well, I'll start with the company. So the biggest challenge that I still face to this day is, I want to say building the audience, right? So we definitely have an audience and we're blessed to have like a core group of folks from Philly. And I love that. So when we do our concerts, you know, we'll get like a hundred some people out, which is great for me. But um, continuing to build that audience outside of there. So I feel like we have to constantly reinvent ourselves, you know, if we're to go to New York or somewhere different. And um, almost prove yourself, right? So you're kind of starting from zero again. So how do you remain relevant? You know, within this 50 year anniversary, it's like a lot of excitement around that. But then next year we'll be six. And six is never as cool as five, right? So <laughs> <laughs> make six just as awesome, if not better. And that could be artistic. It can come from like a business strategy, really. I'm still figuring that out as we speak. But um, yeah, just remaining relevant over time is always a, a challenge. But you know, I look up play my mentor, Joe Myers-Brown, who's the founder of Philodanko, and yeah. they're celebrating their 47th year. Nice. So it's possible. <laughs> you know, it's definitely possible, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of strategy. So I'm just trying to continue on that. Path. I think business owners everywhere <laughs> deal with that <laughs> same issue. And you know, six years is impressive right but that's still like infancy stages of a business business speaking so think if you think of it as like a human being a six-year-old is still a child right so i think at at any stage i think people are still dealing with how to keep their audiences engaged how to grow them because everybody knows that you know as a culture there's so many different things vying for our attention right vying for our loyalty vying for our engagement so how to keep your people your people and mm -hmm. then growing that yeah that's a valid yep <laughs> i hear you you know that could be applied to like individual artists as well i just think it's across the board but also know too is like a solo artist because you know i still do solos and teach and all that it's um standing out from the crowd and i guess part of that has to do with relevancy but honestly it's like finding your niche mm -hmm. but also balancing that with the fact that you are an artist and you do have more than one interest and you're probably multi-dimensional but how do you package that in a way where somebody who's going to pay and book you to do something says i trust that so yeah. it took me a while to get there, you know, but that's what got me to New York is saying I do Afro jazz, which I do. Mm -hmm. But really like embracing that for all that it means. Um, versus me saying, hey, I'm interested in like teaching a ballet class at Joffrey. Totally different thing. So it's like, how do you find that niche that will like, open the awesome door for you? Yes, y'all. I mean, this is like, he's sliding some business tips in there for y'all. You need to pay attention and pick it up. But <laughs> I don't want to step on your training, but yes, that's exactly what it is. It's just the business side of the business and you learning how to merge that into your artistry so that you can make it happen, honey. You better preach to these kids, honey. Because <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. Finding your niche. Finding your audience, where they are, and then going to them is, is y'all. You got to Like, I just want to add this, too, is that, um, you know, I think sometimes as artists, we all get into, like, this little competition of, like, you know, who's struggling the most or, like, who's given up the most to do something or who hasn't sold out, right? So, oh, I don't perform at that venue because, like, it's not full for artists to do that. And let me just say this, right? Like, in the 21st century, in a society that's actively attacking the arts, we can't really afford to like pigeonhole ourselves any longer. <laughs> so, like, you know, you might have to perform at the wedding. You might have to do a banquet. Um, things that are outside of your comfort zone, that's completely okay because you're still putting out there what God gave you. So never feel like the venue or the name of a place is the defining ingredient. 
Are you right. doing your art? Are you sustaining off the art? You can say yes to both of those confidently, then you got it going on. Yes. And what is the sell? It's, it, it's really, yeah. okay. <laughs> we can get into a whole other conversation. But really when it comes to like selling out and trying to stay true to art, I think a part of that underlying thing is there's this idea of what an artist is supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. And what we're supposed to do and what that means and what mm -hmm. that lifestyle is. And doing that, thinking like that keeps so many people stuck in the starving artist lifestyle, to be perfectly honest with you. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm not here for any of that. Like, I don't want to be a starving artist, you know? Like, I want to be a legitimate practicing artist who can also pay my bills and live a life that I'm, is fun and comfortable and exciting. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like, why can't we do both of them? So if that means that I'm going to have to go and give choreography for Quintanilla, guess what? I'm going to do Quintanilla choreography. It's not my favorite thing, but I, I'm going to still practice my art, help a family, meet some amazing people, and have a good time. You know what I mean? And then get a check so I can pay my bills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. This is about lifestyle, too, and that's what I love about your work you know you're always like promoting the lifestyle aspect and that's something i want to reiterate you know it's being an artist is definitely you're creating you know new work but you're also creating a lifestyle for you but like you said you do want to get married you want to have kids you want to be able to go to school all those things are okay there's nothing to say artists aren't as deserving of those things because we don't question lawyers and doctors for having these basic wants and needs right so why can't artists enjoy the same benefits of life we have to pay our bills, y'all. We have to have a roof over our heads, you know? So um, if paying my bills makes me a sellout, then that's what I am, okay? You know? <laughs> so, if you're hungry, yeah. you're not going to make good art, right? Like if you're stressed and frazzled, so you have to be in the... That's the truth. Yes, you've said it right there, Roger. That's the truth. You're not, you can't make your best art if you're not your best self. And mm -hmm. chances are you're not your best self if you are worried about paying your bills, if you can't eat, you know, like you, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's counterproductive. Yes, sir. So <laughs> how can people connect with you, Roger? What are your handles, dear? Sure. So you guys can definitely go to my website, rogerleearts.com. And then on social media, we're just rogerleearts. So they are. Mm -hmm. um, is that on Facebook and Instagram, or where? Where is that on social media? Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. So all Roger Lee Arts. All over social media, Roger <laughs> Lee Arts, and that's something for branding for your for y'all. Also, notice that it's all Roger Lee Arts, so it's very easy to find him. So mm -hmm. probably if you Google Roger Lee Arts, you would find Mr. Roger Lee right here. Yes. Very smart guy. Okay, mm -hmm. so as we wrap up. What is one tip that you'd like to leave? Maybe something, one, the biggest tip that's helped you in your career, or maybe the biggest lesson that you've learned. There's one mm -hmm. thing you want to leave with our aspiring mm -hmm. and early career dancers. Yeah, no, this is great. The thing I will leave you guys with is just to be the best version of you possible. I know that sounds cliche, but it is absolutely true. The times where I tried to be somebody else, it didn't work. And like looking back on that, I see why, because you cannot be somebody else, right? Like we're blessed to be our own individual people, kind of like everybody has their own DNA, right? Their own fingerprints and all that. We're our own artists. So if you're trying to fit circle into a square peg, it's never going to happen. So why like waste time and energy and money beating yourself up, trying to emulate somebody else where all you'll be is like the best cover artist, right? Or the best second version of somebody else. So just like take some time to tap into what makes you unique. I don't care if you have to write it down, say it to yourself, write about it, sing about it. 
figure out like what your unique attributes are and then run with them because nobody can beat you with that. Yes, sir. Roger Lee preaching in here. Yes, I love it. Be the highest version of yourself. And I think that will serve you in every area of your life, not just in dance, not just in a career pursuit or professionally, but in every area of life of your life. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. Yes, y'all. So make sure that you check out Roger Lee at rogerleearts.com and then everywhere on social media at Roger Lee Arts. And then be the highest version of yourself, honey. Yeah, make it happen. Um, so be on the lookout for Roger Lee's media training coming up on The Working Dancer. Just make sure that you stay um, plugged into everything that we have going on. And until next time, I want to say, uh, first of all, thank you, Roger, for being here and for sharing everything that you've shared. And then I'm going to say to y'all, happy dancing, folks. <laughs> Bye.